1: on local now, channel five twenty-five.
0: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Real love is calling. Listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you every sunrise. They've been dogged by stuff they said twenty-five and thirty years ago that they're still dealing with. Why? Because it's out there. And it remains out there so whether we're talking verbal speech or written communication we're still accountable and again perhaps even more so when you think of the ramifications of what electronic communication does and how it's out there for all the world to see jesus said in matthew 12 37 for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned words matter
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hemrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leedsburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James. You are accountable for what you say. And as Pastor Gary will clarify in today's message, you can make many statements without ever opening your mouth. Social media has become a medium for many people to express themselves in a way that may feel relatively harmless but does much more damage than they realize in the moment. You have to be careful. You represent Christ, and it's vital that you submit yourself to Him and allow Him to guide your everyday actions and reactions. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the Book of James, chapter five, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: What I have found is a better question to ask is not why, Lord, but what are you trying to teach me? What were you trying to show me? You know, how how are you trying to grow me? That's what I mean by what are you trying to teach me. There's a multitude of ways that God is trying to reveal Himself to us in in different ways. And sometimes that can only be learned through suffering. I, I don't know about you, but some of the greater lessons I've learned in my life are not in the good times, but in the difficult times. Some of the greater things about God that I've learned, some of the greater aspects of his character and his nature, I've learned through difficult times. Not the good times. I'm thankful for the good times. Don't get me wrong. I, I pray always for the good times. Who who really wants the bad times? You know, I don't you know, take heart, you know, you, in this world you will have tribulation, but take I don't put that verse up on the refrigerator, right? You know, but nevertheless, I'm comforted by the reminder that in this world we will have our share of difficulties. But God is still on the throne. And and Lord, reveal yourself to me through this difficulty that I might lean into you and understand you better. So endure suffering is his exhortation to us. Number four, he goes on here to tell us, number four, to speak honestly, to speak honestly. Verse 12, but above all my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Uh, By the way, I've had some people ask me, does this mean you should never, you know, put your hand on a Bible, swear to tell the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's not what this is saying. You you can, you can, you know, swear an oath in that sense. What what he's saying here is, when he he adds this, that your yes, be yes, and no, no, is be a person of your word. That's what he means. Be a person of your word. Be a man of your word. Be a woman of your word. Say what you mean and mean what you say. We play all these verbal gymnastics, and we need to just be, you know, it, isn't, it isn't to say that we should be blunt, you know, and harsh. We should always be careful to be tactful and to frame our words in such a way that it's not hurtful, but we need to be truth talkers. We need to be people who are honest. We, we say what we mean. We mean what we say. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. By the way, where did James get that? He got it from his half-brother Jesus. Because Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And then this is what Jesus adds. James doesn't say this part. But in the rest of the verse, when, when uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything else comes from the evil one. That's challenging. He's saying, Jesus is saying, anything other than being honest and truthful and sincere is actually motivated by Satan himself. Who Jesus said is a liar and the father of lies. So when we lie, when we deceive, when we you know manipulate, when we say things in, in order to get our way and all this kind of stuff, all of this all of this verbal gymnastics, it's it's not sincere talk. And Jesus said anything in addition to just yes, yes, no, no is is from the enemy. So words matter. A guy by the name of Rabbi Akiva who lived just after Jesus, AD 50 to AD 135, he said, quote, a man might swear by his lips and annul it in his heart, and it was not binding. All right? That's nonsense. And and Jesus clearly said even before that guy, again, let your yes be yes, your no, no. But Rabbi Akiva comes along and he says, you know what? You can say whatever you want, but in your heart, if you decide to change it up, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Let your yes be yes. And your no-no, words matter. And may I just add, not all speech in terms of words is verbal. Okay, especially in this age, where your fingers do a lot of talking. Am I right? You get on your phones, and you start posting things on social media with your fingers. You are just as accountable. It may not be spoken out of your mouth. It might be communicated through your fingers, Either email or social media, but it's still communication and it still applies and I think even more severely Here's why because when you say something with your mouth as accountable as we still are You might say that in the presence of one or two people and they might forget and over time nobody remembers But you say something through social media you post it online. The whole world will see it and it never goes away ever I mean, until Jesus comes and does away with everything. But, you know, and I, and I, tell, I tell young people, especially millennials and Gen Xers and Gen Zers, listen, you, you like to post stuff, it could cost you a job down the road. Because you're going to post foolish stuff that later some employer is going to Google you and look at some of your stuff and realize, this person isn't, isn't worth hiring. All right? Take, for example, politicians these days they've been dogged by stuff they said 25 and 30 years ago that they're still dealing with. Why? Because it's out there and it remains out there. So whether we're talking verbal speech or written communication, we're still accountable. And again, perhaps even more so when you think of the ramifications of what electronic communication does and how it's out there for all the world to see. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words matter. Number five, he says, I want you to pray earnestly. In verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And he goes on to use Elijah as an example in verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. So let's back up here to verse 13 and talk about this a little bit because he's talking about prayer in, in regards to two things, suffering and sickness. That's not the only reason, obviously, that, uh, that we should pray, but, but he's just calling out those two particular things. He says, is anyone there in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And then he asks another question in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. So this passage here describes the importance of prayer when we're going through difficulties and hardships and the suffering part. And then it also talks about praying for the sick. And I want to explain this section a little bit because this is something that we practice here at Cornerstone. And I always ask someone before we pray for them if they have a sickness, do they understand what I'm about to do when we get out this little vial of oil? Because James talks here about the elders of the church gathering and praying over someone who was a sick and anointing him or her with oil. And so um, this, this is something that God has simply prescribed as a method of, um, of, uh, a, a, of praying for someone who is sick. And, and what he says here through James is, If you are suffering in some physical way, some illness, let the elders of the church, elders slash pastors, uh, anoint you with oil and pray over you. Now, there's nothing magic. And by the way, we're talking olive oil, but to be honest with you, it doesn't necessarily have to be. I Uh, One of the guys who was influential in leading me to Christ or at least discipling me in my early years, I've talked about him before. His name was Buck Lewis. He owned the gas station on Main Street in Thurmont, Maryland. He had a third grade education, but he was a man most filled with the Holy Spirit than anybody had ever met, knew his Bible inside and out, and was just a guy who just modeled the love of Christ to me. And uh, was just an amazing man. Well, he owns a gas station. He was a mechanic by hand. He had hands the size of catcher's mitts. You know, when you work with your hands, you get these big hands. And he would have people all the time. When Buck got saved, because if you've heard the story before, he was the town drunk. He was like Otis of Mayberry. And when he got saved, everybody heard about Buck Lewis getting saved. And they'd come to his gas station, not just to get work on their car and to pump gas, but if they needed prayer. Because Buck Lewis was a man of faith. And there were times that I saw Buck Lewis anoint people with oil by pulling a dipstick (laughs) out of the engine of a car and sliding his fingers across that black oil and anointing people that's rubbing it on people and praying for them. So, yeah, I mean, just do whatever you need to do, right? There's nothing magical in the oil. Now, we, we use olive oil, and that's probably the context here. Uh, but, you know, that's just what Buck would do. And then and, people would get healed, too. And they'd get saved. It was just an amazing thing. But James is giving us, giving us this instruction that there's nothing magical about oil itself, but the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Oil is symbolic. You know, in the Old Testament, when kings would be anointed, literally, to be set apart as kings, a prophet like Samuel for David would come and pour a, a flask of oil over the head of this king. And the oil was symbolic of the presence of the Lord. And, and so oil is symbolic of God's presence. So when we pray for someone, we anoint them with oil, and we just usually take a dab of it. It's not like we, you know, we drench you. You're not going to leave here sliding you know, all the way home. It's just we just dab a little bit on our finger, and we just gently rub it on your forehead, and then, and then we pray for you because Scripture invites us to do that. Now, I need to say this. The topic of healing has become a topic of either, in my opinion, great abuse in terms of the teaching regarding healing or great neglect. So you have, you have some who will say that everybody is always supposed to get healed if you just have enough faith and, 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 and pray. And you have others who say, you know, nobody gets healed today. That was a thing in the Old Testament, and New Testament. And so the only way you get healed today is if, you know, you go to a doctor. And so we we thank, we thank God for doctors, but there's no supernatural healing today. So you have both of these extremes. And, you know, the thing about extremes is nobody should live there. All right. If, if you just read your Bibles, you'll live in the balance rather than the extremes. Fact of the matter is God still does heal people, but he doesn't listen to me on this. He doesn't always heal everybody the way we think they should be healed. When you look at Scripture, what we find is, typically, there are three ways that people will be healed. Medically, miraculously, or eternally. Now, some people don't like that last one. The fact of the matter is there are some people that God just simply takes home, and that's their healing. Sometimes we think, exclusively related to this life and this world, that everybody needs to be prolonged to live longer here. And the truth is, sometimes God just takes people home. I don't always understand that. I don't always know why some get healed in this side of heaven and some God chooses to take home. But again, that's part of God's perspective that we don't have. I thank God for doctors and medicine and, and you know, the medical community. Um, God certainly uses that to as part of the healing process of our bodies that he has put within us. The body's an amazing, you know, thing that God has created. And um, so there's that possibility of healing. But the reality is, friends, listen, you look at an example like in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, the Bible says that Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda. And it says there was a great, King James uses the word throng. It was a great throng, a great multitude, uh, the Bible says, of people who were sick lying around this pool there in Bethesda, which is in the old city of Jerusalem. And I, when we go to Israel, everybody who's been with me to Israel knows that's the Bible study at the Pool of Bethesda, John chapter 5. Because in that scene, the Bible says there's a great multitude. How many does that represent? Hundreds, maybe thousands. The Pool of Bethesda, when I first went to Israel, I thought it was just a little watering trough for animals. It is, it is the, they haven't even unearthed the whole thing. It goes under the Arab quarters. But as much as they've unearthed, it's the size of an Olympic swimming pool. So I want you to imagine hundreds, if not thousands of people, sick around this pool. And the Bible says that there would be times that the waters would be stirred and people would rush in to try to be healed. Now, there's a lot of discussion, what's all that about? And some believe that the angel stirred the water and there was healing properties. You know, I personally think that God used some form of, um, you know, his presence to bring healing, you know, before Christ for the sake of people who needed it. Um, But it was a unique thing. Uh, Obviously, if nobody was getting healed, then nobody would have been sitting around the pool of Bethesda. So something was happening there where God was supernaturally doing something. That aside, the Bible says that there was one man there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus stepped over all the other sick people. This is very challenging when you you, go home and read John chapter 5. A great multitude of sick were there. Jesus healed one and walked away. Okay? He, he healed the one to whom the Father directed him, and he stepped over the others to bring miraculous healing to that one man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, why didn't he go around and heal every single person around that pool? Because God's God, and God will sometimes heal miraculously and sometimes In our lifetime, He will heal medically, and sometimes He just simply heals eternally. That said, you should never stop praying, because God might do the miraculous. And we should be people of faith, not faith in the results, that's the danger, but faith in God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could hope or imagine. And God still does do the miraculous. I hear people sometimes say, why can't we see all these miracles that we saw in the early church in the book of Acts? When you look in the book of Acts, there are about 30 miracles that happen over a period of about 30 years. So in proportion, I'm sure that there's a lot more of that going on in the world today as God is moving by his spirit and touching people and healing people. So we believe in the possibility that God still does heal people miraculously today. We don't stop praying for the sick because we believe by faith that God can. Our faith is in Him, and and yet we leave the results up to the Lord. So pray earnestly. Number six, confess privately. He says here in verse 16, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, on this point, James is talking here about not just physical healing, but spiritual healing too. Because spiritual healing comes when we confess our sins and and when we get right with God. Now, this passage is not saying confess... To each other instead of God, what he's simply because God is the one to whom we must confess our sins. He's simply saying that there is this powerful healing aspect of our hearts that happens when we find a friend, a spouse, a confidant with whom we can privately, confidentially confess. Because here's the reality: when we keep secret sins secret they have more power. And for those of you who who have had the courage to find someone that you know is a confidant and confess something that you've been struggling with, some sin issue, you know the liberating result of being able just to, I need to just tell somebody because this is just has a complete grip on my life. And so James is, is saying here that there's this benefit to confessing our trespasses or our sins to one another because it it brings a healing to our soul. And and it's good. And, and, you know, there's accountability in that too, so that's a good thing as well. But um, the caution here is don't think that this means you have to go telling the world your sins. And the sad reality is that sometimes you think you have found a confidant and so you confess your sins and then they go around and they gossip about it. And, and how tragic that is. And then here's what happens. You never want to tell another living soul what you struggle with. Because somebody blew your confidence. And by the way, the Bible warns about that kind of thing in Proverbs 11 and 13. It says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. And it, it's helpful sometimes to be able to say to your spouse or your friend or, or a confidant, somebody you know that can hold your confidence. Here, here's my sin struggle. Here's what I'm struggling with or I did. And I just need to confess to somebody, will you pray with me? And and that that camaraderie in prayer and bringing things to the light um, exposes, you know, in Ephesians 5.11, Paul wrote, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Satan loves for us to keep stuff in the darkness. But when we come into the light, there's, there's freedom in that. and And we find forgiveness. And so... Um, it's, it's a good thing, and if you don't feel like you have somebody that you, that can, you can confidently share with, pray, pray for a person like that. Pray for a friend like that so that you might have someone with whom you can entrust some of the deeper struggles because bringing it into light does release the grip of that stronghold. Last one is to restore gently. In verse 19, he says, Brethren, and if anyone among you wanders from the truth... And someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Paul would write in Galatians 6 1 something very similar with a caution. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you too be tempted. In other words, in Galatians 6 1, what Paul means is if if you are proud about, yeah, I'll restore you, you know, you you stinking sinner, you know, I'll come alongside of you and help to get you back on the path, and you're not humble about it, guess what? You're liable to fall too. So he says, Restore each other, restore a brother or a sister who's caught in a trespass, in a spirit of gentleness lest you two be tempted because we can fall prey to the same thing that a brother or sister has fallen into if we're not careful. So approach restoration with gentleness and meekness and humility because when you do, you turn a sinner from the error of his way and will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Jude one twenty three says, snatch people from the fire. That's our job. Not that we're any better than the next person, but if we help to look out for each other and love each other and when a brother or sister falls to restore him or her, that's a good thing, friends. We have a terrible thing in the church of shooting our wounded. We do it's it's sad. We need to be more careful about restoring the fallen than shooting our wounded. To be merciful and gentle and compassionate. That's our Lord.
0: Amen. Following Jesus isn't a one-time decision. It's a daily choice to put your desires aside and seek your Savior for His opinion. It's determining that your actions are going to reflect what you believe today. It's every morning giving your heart back to God because it can't be about you. The book of James is helpful in that it gives you practical advice on how to do this every day. How to be the hands and feet of Jesus to everyone you meet. We're so glad you took time today to study this New Testament letter with us. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you are. How could we be lifting you up in prayer during this study? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners, and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. We'd love to have you come join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find all the information you need on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know